Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I am on a one-man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox. And this week is a special guest, a returning guest from the One Mike Black History Podcast. My boy, Mike, how you doing, brother? I'm doing wonderful, man. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. You know, you know, a returning guest. I feel like, God, what's one of them talk shows that I always have? Like that one guest is on there a lot. Like, yeah. I feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be you. I'm like, like, I'm like Arsenio, anytime, any zone. That's what this is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, that's a good analogy for it. Yeah, man. Every time. Every few months, we got to have Mike on yeah. to remind y'all, like, hey, this is what, it's, what it is. This is what it's about. Black history is our history. You know, and plus, Mike, come on here. Mike, come on here all the time to talk about things. So, yeah. Oh, me and him got to always link up. I've, I don't know if I want to spoil that yet. No, no. no. I, well, fuck it. I'll spoil it. One of my ideas, which may still happen, that I was telling people, I told, I told somebody before, I said, hey, look. If I ever wanted to change the Delvin Cox experience and make this is or make another show where I like kind of have like a panel talk weekly thing, one of my co-hosts that I have in mind is you and the other Mike. Oh yeah, that would be dope. That'd be, dope. Out. That'd be dope. Plus yeah. the fact that one of our problems, one of my one of my things, is since I don't do the cut anymore, I miss, I miss that. Yeah. I miss that, that, that talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't get that. I don't get that, so I love it. Yeah, because, you know, um, before I did, even started doing the Devil Cox Experience, I did the Mic Drop podcast for a little bit with my homeboy, and that's what we did. And then the Devil Cox Experience was more of a thing of necessity because, like, hey, he couldn't record no more. Right. Because he always has shit he he's going through. Like, he's the dude who goes yeah. through shit. Like, yeah. everybody got that one friend yeah. that goes through shit that just sounds so unbelievable. Yeah. Then you find out no, that shit was actually that shit actually happened. <laughs> like, like for real? <laughs> that, like, no, that, that can't be real. I give a perfect right. example before we get to the five five. I give a perfect example. He I saw his Facebook, right? He was like, um I was I his Facebook story since said I was at work because he works, he think he does like um like forklift operator and stuff like right. that. And essentially, like a 2,000-pound drum fell on him and almost killed him. In a way. That's what I said. Until I saw the footage. I'm like, Nick, fuck. That actually is the thing that happened. How was he not like a hashtag or like a past tense? Like, how are you still here? The, The way it fell... No, it's it just probably such a, it, it must have like deferred a lot of that energy. It must have like yes. hit and then kind of like burnt. Like I can't imagine it went straight down. It had to like hit hit and then I'm just guessing. I don't know. I'm yeah. just speculating. You, you kind of nailed it. It's 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 a weird scenario because like like you said, he broke ribs, his yeah. lips completely like cut like it, like he got sliced with a sword. I'm like, God damn, this shit only happens to you. Right. <laughs> like you're the only person right. I see stuff like this happen to. Right. And then you know. Something similar happened with the cut because I was like, you know, I had my son, and of course, I was like, yo, I can't keep doing all of this. I can't do all three of these things. But when I started trying to like round these dudes up, I found out because this, this is COVID. We're not like talking that much. I found out like like getting a divorce. I was like, you get a what? And not only that, I found out he was getting a divorce, but they were knuckle deep in this thing. They were like a oh. year a year into the divorce, and I tried to give them the good fellas talk. You know what I'm talking about. 
You're talking about you gotta go home. Hey, hey, hey. You can still have your you have your girls, but you gotta go home. I was like, you can't do this. You've been what you wife 20 years. You can't like these streets. There's nothing out here. <laughs> um, and and he was like, nah, man. The the the, the uh, divorce is final like next week. Like what? Damn, I, I can't come into you with no pregame prep talk in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's. I guess he's happy. I don't know. He he moved to Austin. I'm like, yo, this is this is fucking wild. Whole wild. lifestyle change. Yeah, whole lifestyle change. How are you gonna move to fucking Austin? And like, sorry, um, just move to Austin is like a whim. Hey, I'm just moving. I'm a divorce is final. I don't have nothing time me here. I was like, you still got kids. Like, you're not, you're not 20. You are <laughs> That's 40. a wild thing to say. <laughs> nothing time here. Nigga, you got kids. That's right. What like, are you talking about? <laughs> like you're 40. You're, you're 40. Like these are these are young people's goals and aspirations. By the time you're my age, you everything's time you here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that's just a wild notion. Like, even now, like um, I've been divorced for almost well, I guess in a couple months would be a year. But we've been separated for like three, four years at this point, right? I don't think I can fix my mouth to be like, well, I ain't got nothing time me here. <laughs> like, you know, I got, my kids are 17 and 15. My grandmother still lives here. You know, I have to take care of my grandmother. There's so many things, so many things yeah. that I would have to just like stop doing like completely. Right. To be like, they, God, I can leave now. And they depend. They de- they're they're depending on you. But let me just say, and I, hey, man, he ain't gonna listen to this, but whatever. Um, to that point, I'm like, yo, not, not only about your kids, but he wanted to sell the house and split it. Uh, you know this housing market. Housing market is stupid. There's no yeah. scenario where his wife could have bought a house similar to the one they have on her own after you just took half of the money that you guys got from the house, the equity that you have, and ran off with it to Austin. Like, dude, yeah. what mind? What where are you at in your head right now? Like, but I mean, to this defense, and, and not that they're out of dirty laundry. It was his fault. It was his fault. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, like the reason why we're here. And 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 you know, my man's because he was staying with my man's, like, and they had a, like a hostel going thing. They were standing, they were standing together. He was rooming with my homie. And he was like, he owned up to it that it was his fault. And I was like, if you if you know that part, then get your fucking get your wife back. Stop playing. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. I digress. They moved on. She's moved on. Ah, whatever. He lives in Austin. And he now lives in Austin. <laughs> Screw it. Let's get to this five for five. As always, we'd like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Mike, are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Question number one. What does blackness mean to you? Deep question. Wow. Ow. Um... I mean, and it, you know, for American black people, it's always been like the story of you know perseverance and just the story of turning taking a bad thing and turning it into a good thing. This is one of the this is one of the reasons why I'm not real negative about about the N word about saying nigga. It's because N word is like the epitome of black people. It's what we do. We take something that is horrible, that was terrible, and we make jokes about it and we laugh at it and we make it and we make it our own. You know what I'm saying? And 
quintessential that's what blackness is to me that is that is us constantly persevering constantly having a good time constantly having good vibes constantly being the one that you want to hang out with that you want to be with everybody wants to be us but nobody wants to be us like you want all of the good parts but the but the parts that suck the parts that suck the you know they happen to be black every single day of the week nobody nobody wants those parts and and all of those things is part of that of that black of black experience the blackness of it all <laughs> i agree that's, that's that's a good answer question number two who are your heroes wow wow ah that's tough um i mean i don't, don't want to be i don't want to be cliche you know but i it's really tough for me, for Martin Luther King not to be one of your heroes. If you, and not just like the mythology of Martin Luther King, not that guy, not the guy that, that, that gets whitewashed and they're showing on TV every single day, but the person, you know what I'm saying? When you read about him, he's actually more interesting as a human being than he is as, you know, the mythology of it. Because this is a person who on a regular basis put himself in harm's way, put himself in harm's way when you're like, yeah, that's stupid. Why would you do that? His house was firebombed. Have a firebomb. He got stabbed with a letter opener by a black woman. After they, after that, they asked him, was like, yo, what do you think about this? Do you still promote nonviolence? He's like, I am more, more resolute. Every single time you try to do something positive, the devil will put roadblocks in your way. And that's all this is. That's how you know you're on the, you're going the right direction. Like, how can you not respect a man like that? You know, that's that's willing to to die for this every single, every single day. You know, and that would actually happen. Yeah, till it actually happened, which he was prepared for. Because the day before, he was like, you know, t- gave his mountaintop speech where he was like, "Hey, I might, I've seen the mountaintop, and I might not make it there with you." Even though I don't think he was foreshadowing his death coming like the next day, I think he just knew that when that time comes, I won't be here because it's so far. Because he had gotten real, he was tired. <laughs> you know. Tired. It ca- it's a, little, it's, a, it's a little cliche, but it reminds me a little bit of how people were saying before Tupac died, he was kind of talking about it a lot. Yeah. Kind of foreshadowing. I think it's a little thing where certain people, they have that ideal of like, all right, you know what? Something's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just that eerie feeling that certain people, some, some certain yeah. people have that like something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but I feel like I, my I, time is coming to the end. Right. And that's definitely how he was and if you talk you know if you listen to some of his i'm talking about like 1968 post voting rights act votes post um civil rights act he talks real like you know i talked about having a dream and i thought we were closer to the end than we were and it wasn't it wasn't that way it's much more difficult we have a long much longer to go and that these bills that they passed cost him nothing but you know, economic improvement costs money. And I don't think that the America is ready for that. And I don't think the government is ready for that. And this is a guy that was like, he basically said, my dream, my dream is we're not close to the dream as I thought we were, you yeah. know. Um, probably uh, the other two, I'm not going to give well, a whole spiel about Be- those Before guys. you go to the other two, because you brought up an interesting point, I want to ask you a question about this. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. What do you think about white America, and when I say white America, I don't mean all white America, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean the ones who do it. Right. 
who kind of co-op Martin Luther King as theirs. What I mean by that is they take certain elements of his speech. Like, for example, they don't give a fuck about Martin Luther King till MLK Day. Right. Or when something happens, they'll start preaching certain aspects of Dr. King, like nonviolence and stuff like right. that. Right. But they don't do it in a way where they're like, hey, you should be nonviolent. They do it in a way like, no, you should comply because right. Dr. King said so. Right. And it was funny. What's funny about all of those things is that the Dr. King they remember is the is the 2022-2023 Dr. Martin Luther King. At the time when he was in it, when he was doing the but you know, Montgomery Bus Boycott, the, the Birmingham campaign, he was the most hated man in America during that time. When they talk about, hey, you know, when they riot and they're like riots are the uh, language of the unheard, even when he was doing peaceful protests, they would deem them to be riots and 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 burn, you know what I'm saying? Burn him in, in effigy and talk about how you're not, he's not who you plan, who, who he says he is. The FBI, J. Edgar Hoover was watching him constantly, looking for a way to slip, trying to break up his, trying to break up his marriage. And yeah, you know, there was the infidelity, but, <laughs> but. He was he was most hated man in America. So the for, so for you to come today and to tell us that hey Martin Luther King wouldn't have stood for that, he wouldn't have stood for that, you wouldn't have liked him. You wouldn't have liked 2023 Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King wouldn't have liked you. You would not have been friends. He is the opposite of what you guys stand for every single day of the week. And 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 this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons why I'm like, I hate that. Like that whitewashing, that that the whitewashing of Dr. King is probably the thing that that irks me the most about his holiday about black history month because one and you know obama time talked about this and we had a speech about black history but is that black history month is more than quotes from you know rosa parks and martin Luther king it's everything it's all of it it's the highs the lows the 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 uh um the known the obscure all of those things in between includes black history month it's all it's it's everybody you know it's not just king so, yeah, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I I hate that. And they 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 even try to do it, Malcolm X, how they take certain aspects of a person in history without knowing you know, the whole history. You know, Martin, Malcolm X is much much tougher to do because he got quotes. He's like, like bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he has this one quote, and it's great, um, where he talks about. Progress. They ask him about progress, black community, and how far we've come. And he's like, if I if I take a knife and I stab you nine inches and then pull it out six, is that progress? No, it's not progress. You know, I have to take the knife out completely and let the wound heal. And that's how you get progress. What we have right now is that knife is still sitting in six, three inches. It's not, this is not progress. You know, we still, we still knee deep in it. And and those kind of things, it's hard to ignore. Like you could kind of co-op. My, uh, like later, later after Mecca, Malcolm I, X. <laughs> I, I think the one that they always go to is the quote about the white liberal. Oh yeah, they do. They do That's like the that. One. <laughs> they do. They do like the white, the light white liberal quote. And, and to that point, I will say, I will say this: that I expect racism from people, and I feel like I like the default setting for white folks in general you know what i'm saying like when you say hey da, 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 did something racist eh. 
course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I suspected, expected, I mean. Uh, you know what? I, I think a better way, out to, at least to me, I think I expect racism from white people with power. Yeah, it's true. But even that's what I don't. Even people who don't. Like, like, I don't, I stop at saying people's racist, but casual racism is so pervasive in our society that even that when you don't, even when you don't mean it, even when you don't mean it, like, you know what I'm saying? Even when you're like, I, I don't, I don't really hate black people. Stuff comes out. Cause I, man, I was at work one day and this guy was like, Hey, they hired a new guy. And he's actually white. He was like talking about the fact they don't, they, that they don't hire a lot of white people these days because diversity, because of diversity and inclusion meant they were hiring a lot of women, a lot of minorities. And he was just like shocked by that fact. And I'm like, really, really yeah. guy. Like, and, and not not to mention, I'm surrounded. I was surrounded by white guys. And you you're shocked. <laughs> <laughs> you know? let, let me ask you this. Because I think see this see, this is another good topic. This is well, like we're gonna get through this five five, but this is another good topic. Do you think it's racism or more ignorance? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think the one one of the things that really helps people with their racism is to see the world. It's to see the world and hang out with people that are not that are not like them. And I'm not when I say see the world, I mean outside of the United States. Like you yes. need to leave the United States and see what the world is like outside of these boundaries. Cause you, you'll be shocked that you are not the center of the universe. You are in this galaxy. You are not the sun. <laughs> like you, you're, you're Jupiter, <laughs> you know, you're Uranus. You're not, the, you're not the center of the universe. My guy, you're not the center of this galaxy. Solar I, system. I, I've realized doing this podcast for so long. I think this is a interesting thing to say. How do I say this right? Well, I'm just going to say it. A while back, I realized that a lot, some of the people who listen to this podcast, I am like the only black guy they know. <laughs> or, one of, or like one of the few black guys they actually know. <laughs> it, it's weird because, you know. You're the, you're the token guy. You're that token one. <laughs> yeah, almost because like a lot of people live in middle America where there's not that many of a black population. So they see me. They talk to me, so it's kind of like I have to be the voice of us. Right. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot to put on that. <laughs> it's a lot to put on that. Like, but, you know, that's why I always try to bring other black people on here so, you know, they yeah. get an understanding for I what I say. Hate, I know they hate my ass. They were like, you got this guy out here again? <laughs> Y'all just talk about white people. <laughs> I, I, say, I say this because I remember when all the riots and things were going on and the protests were going on, I would have a lot of people hop into my DMs because they were legit confused. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what they think. They didn't know why all these black people were so angry. They couldn't, they couldn't understand it. They couldn't fathom it. And then I remember this so well. This I remember this like yesterday. I probably still have some of the DMs in my phone. I would sit down and have conversation with them and they were like, oh, when you put it that way, I never really realized that till you said it just now. Right, 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 right. And it's such a wild thing because we we live this. This is our life. Like, you can't change. Yeah. We can't wake yeah. up one day and say, oh, we, we white now. No, this no. is part, this is the aspect of us. Yeah. And I think we take for granted sometimes, like, there's a lot of white people 
who don't, who just haven't been around black people. They're only yeah. idea of what a black person is is shit like well, good times. And so they're on TV. Yeah, what they see on TV, good times yeah. and roles of them being black people being criminals and shit like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's part of the problem you get in a lot of even countries of color, especially especially when you start to go to to Asia, China, Japan, they Korea, they expect they expect a black guy on TV. They expect you to be a certain way. They expect like Chris just, yes, and the guy. I follow this guy on TikTok who lives in Japan. And when I tell you, <laughs> I tell you he's square. You know what I'm saying? Like he might be the, the lamest dude, but his life is very interesting. It's very interesting. He talks about being in Japan and he talks about dating. And he said, dating is very difficult because once they realize that you're not like their image of a, what a black person should be, they lose interest. He's like, you're not a gangster. You're not a basketball player. You're not six eight. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to start rapping spontaneously. You're not. You don't bust. You don't bust gats. Like, almost automatically, they lose interest because it's like this fetish. I want, like, you get put like on a check mark. Like, hey, I did a black dude once. You know what I mean? And I thought that was super interesting because their only idea of what a black person is is exactly that what they see on TV. Yeah. What, People just—that's why television is important. Black representation is important because uh, Black Panther, I think, is an important aspect of that. Like the the, the movie, the, but in the sequel as well, because when you keep showing Black people in a negative light, people and, and even our people think that's the life they should be, right? Or they should have, like you know. Right. When you look at hip hop, especially now with the drill music and all that stuff, yeah, that shit crazy. Drill, drill music is wild. Like them kids, legitimately, like you know, hey, I'm 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 40. I grew up in the golden area, in the era it was filled with misogyny and violence. But at the end of the day, Big Pun and Biggie were going home to a mansion. Like they didn't live yeah. this life. They this wasn't was in a, the streets. They wasn't in the streets. This was matter of fact. I never sold drugs. These were sto- It was other people's stories. Yes, I can rap. You know what I'm saying? So I could tell the stories of other people. Like yes. it's like the wire. You're like, Cube I don't. Said I don't. It. Yeah, he said it. Like he Cube said, like, is not. Nah. He's not a real gangster. <laughs> yeah. Like no, no those are my homies. <laughs> yeah, they're my homies. So. It's like the wire. When you watch the wire, you don't, you know, respect Michael K. Williams to actually be out here robbing people. That's not the way this works. Um, but drill music, <laughs> them, them boys do not. They actually it doing it. They in it. They like we. I don't expect to make it past twenty five. I'm rapping about the dead ops. I'm out here. I I shot that dude, and then I rap about it. I'm like, what in the, the world? It's it, it's crazy because I feel like. What our parents used to tell us about rap music and how it badly influences us and what it does. And we and we knew like this shit ain't real. This is like WWE. Yeah, now it's yeah. actually real. So it's like, actually real. Like, <laughs> like you tell your parents, you're like, hey, don't do, don't do like uh uh God, I can't even remember all the little little dudes that passed that died stupidly, but don't be like them. Be, <laughs> be like none of them. It's so wild that we've got to that. Like even I talked to my son because my son listens to a lot of that stuff. I'm like, he's nowhere near that. Like, um, wanting to get into that type of life, but he he he's like, damn, another one died. Yeah, and they're like like close to his age. Like, yeah, 
We had like Tupac and we had Big. They've had yeah. at this point like 10 Tupac and Big yeah. down. Not necessarily yeah. skill level, yeah. but like dramatic events of those people of, the, of that caliber. Yeah. Like people they knew who they looked up to was just gone. Yeah. And that's, that's just like, it's hard to wrap my mind around because they talk about like so-and-so died. I'm like, who is that? Like these kids died before they ever had a chance to really even see the fruits of their labor. You know what I'm saying? You rapping and you having a good time. And yeah, you're like minorly big, but you could have been huge and you never even got to see it because you still in these streets. You still out here on O Block. <laughs> yeah. And, rapping about O Block on O Block. <laughs> and the crazy thing about it, it's it's sad, honestly. It's like really it sad because like even when you have a passing like takeoff, who who by all means been in the rap game for a long time. Yeah, and super unpro- unproblematic. That's what really sucked is that he wasn't he, he wasn't was like, drill music. Yeah, <laughs> when you have a pastor like him, then you look at his age, he's like twenty nine or something like that. Yeah, he was still yeah. like young, and he and, and and based off of the passes we've been seeing, yeah, he's probably considered old. Yeah, he OG because he, um, the ones we've been seeing pass away like 25, 21, 23. Yeah. Like I call I call that him first forty eight age. Some, yeah, some, them babies. He's a so and so was only 29, 19 years old. She was 22 years old. Like, damn. Sad. Yeah, you babies. You never even you haven't even lived. He ain't yeah. even done nothing. For real. Like, your bio like two seconds. He worked at Walmart. Like, come on, cuz. Yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. working at Walmart. <laughs> Chris. All right, let's get to a happier number four then. Right. Oh, give me two more of your, your heroes. What we get. Oh, I was gonna say Malcolm. I was gonna say Malcolm and uh James Baldwin. Love James, love James Baldwin. And I always remember, every time I think about James Baldwin, I remember Kennedy calling him Martin Luther Queen. <laughs> I was like, that is, that's dirty. But but the James Baldwin could have been it. Like, for someone who wasn't an actual activist, I mean, he just was a speaker, but he's so eloquent. When he talks about stuff, when people ask him questions, he's able to, like, be a mouthpiece that makes sense. And I just felt like, it's, it was a travesty that he wasn't used more. Like, I felt like he really could have, like, at least, and I don't know how much he wanted to be in, in the in the movement, but I, I felt like he, you really could have co-opted this dude in, you know, someone who had such a powerful speaking voice such as that. I feel like it's a place. It's a place. And when I look it up, I'm going to find out why that didn't happen. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you a question. Because I think this kind of t- ties into it, I think. Based off of me talking to people now who didn't realize this, do you think James Baldwin's sexuality played a part into it? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because there was a guy, uh, Bayard Rustin, who was um, part of the, have a name for it. It's something nine. It's basically the nine black civil rights leaders, uh, civil rights six or something like that. Anyway, basically it's a group. It's like John Lewis, Martin Luther King, uh, uh, Ralph Abernathy, all these guys that was like Martin Luther King and his disciples, basically. Yeah. And Rustin was in that, was in that group. And um, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. He was trying to, he was trying to set up a march on Washington. And um, Kennedy was like, Nah, you can't, you can't come here, you can't come here. And he sent Clayton Powell Jr. to go like, Hey, tell him that I need you to shut this down. Or I'm going to tell everyone that you and Martin are bumping uglies. And 
soon as that happened, because you gotta understand this black people ultra conservative, and that yes. was a big, that was a huge no no. Even the fact that his sexuality was already divisive within the group, because these are all these are all ministers, you know, he was already divisive within the group. But so Martin distanced himself from Bayard Rustin, and while he was helpful in orchestrating the march on Washington, it was on it was a, it was as a proxy. <laughs> he couldn't be fully, fully involved. He had to be kind of, it kept him kind of at arm's length. So if you would do that to somebody who you were close to, who was the orchestrator of nonviolence, he's the reason why Martin was nonviolent, then I know they would do that to James Baldwin, who was a person on the outside looking in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I find it fascinating that people, like I, I talk to people now about James Baldwin, because I, I, I really admire James Baldwin, the way he spoke and the way he saw life. I really find it fascinating that there are people of our generation who didn't know James Baldwin was gay. No, no, that was like an old thing. If you look back at, um, he insinuates it, but if you look back, uh, there's nothing that says that's like that's it right there. You know, the yeah. pictures, the talk, the talks, everything. He like you don't see it. You know, you someone will have to tell you. You have to read up on his life before before you can find out that he was that he was homosexual. Now, B.I. Rustin, Rustin was not. He was openly gay. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you know, you know, see my boyfriend. <laughs> All right. Question number four. This is gonna be a fun question for you. I want you to describe the fruit of the loom logo. I don't think I know this as well as I think I do. I mean, I feel like it's like, um, you know, you don't, you know, it's cornucopias where you got like the basket with all the fruits together. Yes. It's like that, but without the actual basket, it's just a bunch of fruits together. And I remember very vividly the grapes and maybe an apple. <laughs> okay. And I feel like there's some other fruits in there, like plant bunch together for fruit of the looms. But I can probably, I feel like I'm like 99% wrong. I feel like this is like the Berestein Bears right now, where my memory says one thing, and reality is not that. <laughs> you, you nailed it. So it is definitely, it's 100% a Mandela effect thing where, and this is the conversation I've been having on this podcast recently about this, that um, people like myself remember it being in a cornucopia. Yeah. And there are pictures of it in a cornucopia. <laughs> Fruit of the Loom says it was never in a cornucopia. It was always just fruit just mixed together. Man, that don't feel right. That doesn't feel see, right. See, see, right. if you look at the logo, you're like, that doesn't feel right. Nah. <laughs> it looks like off. you changed it. I felt like they just updated and just changed it. But like when I when I heard about the Berestein, Berestein and Berestein bears, and I was like, Berestein? Since when? How long has it been like that? They're like forever. No, sir. No, sir. They're not the books I read. <laughs> They're not it's the so, books I read. <laughs> it, it's so weird how that works, man. I, I don't know. I find the brain a fascinating thing. Yeah. yeah. And particularly memory, because what we remember and what actually happens is sometimes very similar. Yeah. And sometimes very, vastly different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's amazing to me how your memory and your brain will fill in the gaps with stories, with a story that makes sense. So, yes. so you, your mind will forget things and then 
your mind, your your brain will fill in those gaps with a story that makes logical sense given the information that you still have in there. So you're like, I remember being a cornucopia. You don't remember what it was. You just your mind. And then, weirdly, we all share these experiences. So, so it's not just me. Like it's millions of people who all think that it was Berenstein Bears. Like how do we all? Yeah. yeah. Now, now what's ironic about this is that the Mandela effect is like the worst name for anything ever because I knew that Mandela was still alive and in prison and not dead. And I only white people <laughs> thought I he was too. dead. Like they, they, I was like, they, no, they talked about this. Yeah. He was, he was on the news. He was, he was on the news. He had a whole thing. His wife yeah. waited for him the entire time. Like, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, he's very much alive. He was very much alive. Like, he did now, right? He did now, right? Yeah. He, okay. 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 Hey, I'm about to, I, hey, you know, I say that and then you be fun, you, you be surprised. You're like, you still alive? Yeah, that's it's just it's just fascinating how that works. It is super fascinating. I love I love those weird shared experiences. And black people do it too. Like it's it's strange to me how we all have similar experiences, even though we're not. <clears throat> We're not near each other. How we all, you know, play ding dong ditch and all had to be in when the street lights came on. How do we all having the same shared experience throughout yeah. our childhood? Mama pulling the switch off the tree. Right, right. Oh, like, oh I, make, I, I, making you go get it. Go get me yeah. a switch. Are you serious right now? How does, how does everybody have this experience that we all know as black people? It's, just, it's always fascinating. Right, it's always fascinating. I love it. All right. Question number five. If there's one thing that you can ingrain in white culture about black history, what would it be? Oh, man. Uh, that slavery built America. Like, and this is it's funny. It's funny because essentially that's what critical race theory breaks down to. It's basically the idea that this country was built on the backs of slaves. And even outside of the South, even in the Northern areas, they were dependent on the industry of slavery and profited from the industry of slavery and that slaves built major institutions. Could you imagine, could you imagine them building this country themselves, like on their own labor and hard work? Like you got to plow your own fields. I had to go out there and cut my own, own pick my own cotton, cut my own sugar cane. That would have never happened. This country wouldn't wouldn't be nearly the place that they think it is without without slavery, without, without free labor. labor, without free labor. And matter of fact, this country is still built on free labor because the moment that, that slavery was abolished, they kept looking for ways to continue to keep keep black people under their thumb. And this is how you get Jim Crow and all these things, because I need you on these plantations, picking fruit for as cheaply as you can. Like, yeah, I got to pay you, but I'm not going to pay you much. You know what I'm saying? Like this whole country. And even now, even today, like, and it may not be a black and black and white thing. It's more of a class thing, but you got people who go, who, who, who will fight tooth and nail the, against McDonald's raising they're raising the, uh, uh, the minimum wage and paying people a living wage. They're like, these jobs are for kids and for, so kids don't deserve to have money in their pocket? Like, I don't understand the question here. And why are you so 
interested in pocket watching the life of someone else. Where about yourself? Like, why? Yeah. I don't understand why they need to pay them more. Why? Why is that so? Why does this bother you so much? It shouldn't. <laughs> you, would th- you would think it wouldn't bother people so much, but it, people get it upset really about does. this. It really does. So that idea that is 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 as American as apple pie, even though apple pie isn't American. But that's I digress. <laughs> I digress. That idea of cheap labor, free labor. Who we are? It's who Americans are. Yeah. Um. That's why I always kind of say that Black history is American history, and I know people try to separate it. And and I think Black History Month is important because of that, because we need to highlight that. Hey, Black history is American history. Right. We helped build this place for free. Right. Off the backs of our ancestors. And I think that's a very important aspect of things. And America wouldn't be nowhere near where it's at today if it wasn't for that. Go ahead. Just look at the aspect of like this. Imagine getting a year, like a free labor from somebody in your house, how much stuff you would accomplish. Right. How much you could do. How much free time you freed up that now you can do because someone is doing all of that labor, that labor for you. And then Imagine that not not only they free labor, but they're an asset. They they're like your cow. I can leverage you and take out loans on your value. Yeah. Are you crazy. J.P. Morgan Chase uh, ended up um, confiscating thirteen thousand slaves because people people stopped paying their loans. This is. This is the world that we live in. Is that not only did I own you, but you are an asset that I could use to buy stuff with. That's yeah. generational wealth on the backs of a person. <laughs> it's, it's so wild to think about. Like, hey, no. yeah, that's insane. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I find that so fascinating that I need I need to watch sixteen nineteen project. You know, it's on it's on Netflix. I, I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna watch it. I'm like, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Now I'm mad and I don't want to finish it. <laughs> it's it's really hard to watch stuff like that because you you think about I'll give you a perfect example. I couldn't watch the Emmett Till movie. I'm like, I can't watch this. No, and I did an episode on Emmett Till. And I so when I heard the Emmett Till movie, I was like, yo, that's all bad. There's no yeah. happiness, there's no joy. You're not gonna get a happy you're not not only you're not gonna have get a happy ending, you're not even gonna get a satisfactory ending. Like if Emmett Till were like you know, I know it's a movie, but if it were a movie, it would be like a horrible. It's not. It's yeah. not fun. This is not fun. There's not no fun at all. Uh-uh. No resolution. No resolution. You don't get nothing. You just get racism on racism on racism, and then in the end, this bitch still alive, living in living in Raleigh. You know, what I'm saying, oh, she's sick and old. I don't give a damn about that. Put her in jail. And yeah. I really, realistically, I know she's not ever going to get put in jail because all the people who connected to this case are all dead, and her connect her how much she was involved in his death, his murder is in question. Cause she, if she would say, cause she has a memoir. She says that her husband was beat, would beat her. And she went that route, the abusive route and said that he beat her. And that he was very mean to her and abusive. And that because I didn't tell him immediately about what happened. Cause she tried, she said, she tried to cover it up. I tried, I didn't, I, I tried to handle it myself and he found out from someone at the store. And when he came back and found out that I did not tell him immediately that he beat me up and then went out searching for Emmett Till. This is the story that, that she paints. So she paints herself as a bit of a victim in this story 
also, and I don't know how much that you believe, but let's let's just remember it's 1955. And in Mississippi, in money, Mississippi, like you ain't you ain't that much. Like you knew what this was. You knew what this was. People in Mississippi have been lynched for less than that. <laughs> just, yeah, just think, just think about how. Well, one, how far we've come. Mm-hmm. And, so, and sometimes and somewhat we've progressed as well. But the ideal of which we know he wasn't doing, but a black kid flirting with a white woman caused his death. Right. Brutal right. death. They said here's a here's a kicker. Um, so he had polio, one of those diseases, smallpox, one of the, I think it's polio. He had polio when he was younger, right? And this caused him to stutter, um, Emmett. And his mother taught him that when he stuttered, to whistle to get yourself back on track. You know what I'm saying? So the theory that I have is that he's in the store. He's talking to the white woman. He starts to stutter. He starts whistling. She takes it as a wolf whistle. She gets mad, assuming that he flirted with her being, being, you know, saying an uppity Negro. And then all the rest of that stuff happens. Because because Timmit Emmett Till did not, he knew what was up. He knew she was mad. She knew it was bad. He tried to hide. They went and found him. Like he was ready. He wanted to go home immediately. Like because he knew it was bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um still the only two people who knew what happened in that in that scenario was Emmett Till and that white woman and she ain't talking. And all she's ever said was what he did in that store is not enough for what happened to him. The, the, the you know the punishment doesn't fit the crime. So there was no crime. That's the crazy no, thing about it. I don't I don't ever I don't think anything happened. I think he whistled because he couldn't talk because yeah. he was stuttering and then she mistook it because I mean he's from Chicago but even being from Chicago you know you don't talk to white people you're not gonna flirt with no white woman you know why would you do that? That doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Story, considering that climate, considering his age, and and like this isn't this is this isn't 2023, where people were, were a younger generation be like, fuck that. I'm not worried about nothing happening to me. Right. They're a lot bolder. Back then, that generation was not only like respectful, but fearful. Yeah. yeah Especially if they're by themselves. They don't want to, they, they they know what has happened. They lynching is a common thing around this it time. It's a thing. So that the last thing they want to do is piss off somebody to this to they say no you got to go in yeah. the least be so so it's like why would he do that yeah that <laughs> doesn't that doesn't make and and his his uh Mamie Teal before they he left she she says that they had a discussion about the South being different because he's from Chicago and they're like hey Chicago got rules and it, it yes it's still segregation. But money, Mississippi, it's the Delta. It's different, different. Like you need to mind your, you need to mind your course of pints. If you get into an altercation, with a white person, plead for their forgiveness. Blah 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 blah. This is not things that we don't, we don't think. But I will say this: if you ever been to Mississippi, <laughs> it's parts of Mississippi that still, it still got that white only pies. Like you is not, you cannot stop here, sir. Do not, don't stop here. So, hey. You know, you have to be careful. The thing is not, it's, it's 2023 and it's still dangerous in, in the Delta. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, it's crazy to think I about. I know people 
reach equality and says the world is a lot better, but there are still aspects as we saw in 2020 and as we saw in 2016, there are still aspects of people who are just terrible people. Yeah, it's still sundown towns. You know, it's still places. It's it's, it's and I think that's the difference, the big difference fundamentally between us and 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 white people, um, is that we are so used to places that we can't go that it doesn't even bother us. Things we can't do, things that like we we are so used to living within this box and having these limitations that they the limitations don't even bother us anymore. We just live. I I know that if I go outside of Charlotte or I go, I drive to Wilmington, or I go to Fayetteville or Goldsboro, that along the way, they're going to be places that I can't stop. Like, I'm not stopping there. That place does not look Black approved. I get it. You know what I'm saying? But the idea for white folks, where they're like, what? I can't go there. I can't live here. I can't gentrify this area. What do you mean? What do you mean I can't park my car out in front without it getting stolen? Hey, I told you to live in the hood. Like, these ideas, they just don't like you were saying earlier, it just doesn't register with them that this might be a poor idea. This might be something that you don't want to do. Yeah, you know? and, and I, I've experienced certain aspects of that. Like I, I don't think I, I've told that story before, but I don't know if I told it here before. But um, my ex, one year we went to Georgia, and she's she's Hispanic, so she don't have no no idea, no clue about certain things. So there was this um. Peanut farm, I guess you want to call it. And so peanuts and cashews and stuff like that. She's like, oh, let's go there. I'm like, eh, I don't yeah. know if we should go there. Yeah. Doesn't look too friendly. And she's like, oh, what are you talking about? Let's, let's, it's not a big deal. So she gets out the car. We go in there. It's a pretty big farm. Pretty big, like, like you know, big farm, barn. Yeah. A lot of people in there shopping. As soon as we walked in there, everybody got quiet. And, and I'm looking at her like, we need to go. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean yeah. by that? Mm-hmm. People are just shopping. Like, no, no, no. You need to understand something. This yeah. is not Miami. Nah. You can't just go in places in certain parts of, of co- country and like think it's going to be okay. Nah, it's dangerous out here. It's still so dangerous she, out here. I said, just grab a bag, go pay, and get out. I don't care what bag you get. Just get it and let's go. Right. She grabbed the bag. She went to the register. Cashier wouldn't even look at her. Mm. And that, that was my whole clue. Like, hey, we got to go. Because we stay here any longer, we won't be here. Right. Right. Right, that's a. It's a scary. It's a scary, yeah. uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, it's scary. You know that hey, you have X amount of time to get in and out of here, yeah. and if you don't, it's gonna go down, and you're outnumbered like twenty to one. Right. See that kind of stuff. I don't even put myself in that situation. I don't even put myself in that situation. And it, and, and I will say this, you know, I do live in a part of Charlotte. In South Charlotte, where you know, you, you I go a lot of places. I might be the only brother there, but you know, the social climate is different. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little different now. Yeah, it is. It, it is a little different, and also, we live in an era where most people, the only color they care about is green. As long yeah. as you paying, as long as you got money, that's the one of the big things that's always been important 
um, and, and what fueled, you know, desegregation. It was never really about, you know, being benevolent. You know what I'm saying? Like the slave yeah. masters. I, I tell this story on the, on the podcast about watermelon. I got an episode coming out about watermelon. And they used to give the, the slaves watermelon and then let them eat it their first harvest on a Saturday. And they were like, this was their idea of being nice and benevolent. Like, hey, hey, we let our slaves come in here and eat watermelon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's kind of what happened with the Civil Rights Bill of 1964, where, yeah, you could go to public accommodations, but it wasn't because we wanted you here. We want your money. I can't franchise the McDonald's that in 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 Washington DC is desegregated, but in Mississippi, it's whites only. Like that doesn't, I, I can't make money like that. I need you, I need you to be desegregated and I need it to be everywhere. This is how corporations make money. I can't, I can't worry about your predisposed notions of color. And you find that with plenty of corporations, Pepsi, Cadillac, all of these corporations got lifted up because they wanted black dollars and they used black dollars. Even if you wouldn't advertise to African-Americans, you would you would damn sure let them purchase your products because you needed their money. And this is all all that all that was about. It's about money. It's always been about money. Yeah. The fact that um, and you can even see shades of that today in terms of like. Um, black people, black Americans kind of try that dollar whether it's yeah. fashion fast food mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they they even like cater commercials to to us because they know okay they're gonna buy this like look at nike right. yeah and we're extremely loyal when we have a brand who kind of caters to us even a little bit even if it's like half ass like like cadillac yeah black people love 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 cadillacs you know what i'm saying like even back you know going back to the you know the early 2000s and the escalade but even before that, like yeah. if you look at any random 70s movie, it was driving a Cadillac. It was a status symbol, you know? And and that came from the 30s when they were down bad and they started like, hey, you should probably start selling this thing to rich to rich niggas. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it and, and throughout that, throughout it all, while they were selling, like allow you to buy the car, you could come into the showroom. They never advertised to black people. It would be another 40 years before they would advertise to you, even though they would let you purchase things from him. And this is this is this is the sort of sort of thing I'm, I'm talking about, because like even if you look like now, like Nike or any of these corporations or, hey, it's Black History Month, but it's the most patronizing thing ever because you don't stand by it. You know what I'm saying? It's like having a diversity inclusion manager at your job, but it's a white guy. Like, how is that? What is we doing? What is this? Like if you, you, you say that you say one thing, but 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 you're. What you're doing says a whole nother. Whatever. Yeah, Whatever. you're, you're I actually correct. <laughs> you are 100% accurate with that, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people, where a lot of problems lie with people. They're like, hey, this is not genuine. This is not something. No, it's not genuine. And it comes yeah. off as not genuine. Yeah, it comes off like you're trying to sell me something. Like yes, and that and that's that's really what what where it sucks. It's like, hey, buy Nike. It's Black History Month. Buy my T-shirt. You know, buy my shoes, buy my Black History Month shoes, which they, which they have, by the way. Yes, they do. <laughs> That's the uh, gross. <laughs> which they have, by the way. <laughs> All right, I, I wanted to ask you a question. What's up? Because I saw you talk about it on the episode, I wanted you to kind of explain to people. What's the history of Korean fried chicken? 
Wow. Korean fried chicken is dope because um, while we didn't really invent fried chicken, we kind of got um, tied into it. Place to do enslave people, and, and and the ironic thing is that we didn't really even have the equipment to make fried chicken, but white folks still kind of tied us to fried chicken and watermelon and all those sorts of things. But anyway, um, during the first world wars, Black Americans went to countries and set up restaurants and and lived in those countries and and introduced the world to soul food and all kinds of other black culinary delights including fried chicken and that extended itself to the korean war when black gis went went to korea they introduced them to uh fried chicken and but they would only eat fried chicken as a substitute for turkey during thanksgiving right after after the end of the korean war South Korea was down bad. So they really couldn't afford chicken like that. So they weren't making fried chicken, right? So what happened was is they start um, do, eating rotisserie chicken. They used to call it yellow bag chicken. So it'd be chicken in a bag, but it was still like a, 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 um, a treat. You would only eat it on like payday or Friday. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, hey guys, Saturday, I'm about to get the yellow bag chicken. We about to eat some rotisserie chicken. But that uh, uh, um, that delight, that having chicken took them into the next era when cooking oil and the prevalence and, and the prices of chicken went came down in South Korea. And what they did was is they started taking that recipe that was shown to them by Black GIs and started deep frying chicken and then mixing that for mixing those recipes, those spices with Korean ideas. So I think one of the ones is uh, soy ginger, soy ginger. The the Korean chicken, the Korean fried chicken spot I go to has this. I think it's soy ginger, which one of the first recipes they had. And huh. when I tell you it's banging, oh, it's so good, it's so good. Anyway, I think the first joint was um, Lim's fried chicken, and then he went to America, studied for university went to uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, saw what they were doing, selling pieces. He started selling pieces of chicken, putting it in a box, giving it to the people. It exploded. Now they got 80,000 Korean fried chicken joints. And ironically, now they come here because we got a banchan and a soul food, like Seoul, Korea, and all these places. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that Korean fried chicken? Do you think that's played a part in like um, Asian Americans kind of just going into black neighborhoods and open up businesses? I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like there are a couple factors mostly due to under, just underserved areas. Cause you also see this with hair, with black hair care products. And I kind of feel like them coming in areas and open up um, convenience stores or black hair care products or selling Korean fried chicken was them them realizing a niche that was underserved. And that's what you would get here in the United States is that we have these niches that are severely underserved because nobody wants to advertise to the black market. You know, you look at Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola only wanted to, only wanted white people to drink that drink. So Pepsi started advertising African-Americans because, you know, Coke wasn't going to. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So when you see that market, I think they were just like, hey, 
there's no convenience store here. Let us show up here and see what happens. There's no uh, uh, hair care products for African-Americans dedicated solely for African-Americans. Let's make them, you know, and now it's kind of a double-edged sword because they control the entire market. And if you are black and try to get into black hair care products, it's almost impossible for you to get in because the supply, the entire supply chain is owned by Koreans. So they give discounts to their own. But if you were to come in, you have to pay a higher price, which means that you're operating at a low, at a, at a, at a higher cost. cost. Right. And you can't afford this unless you can convince people that, Hey, I'm a black owned business and you should come on, come in on the strength of that. And you know, we kind of, Sometime on that idea. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Kind of sometime on that black owned business idea. But yeah, I like I like Korean fried chicken. And and to that point, I know I've been talking about Coca-Cola and Pepsi. I got a couple more coming out where I talk about, you know, why black people don't eat sweet potato, why black people don't eat pumpkin pie and prefer sweet potato pie. I have one coming out about the history of watermelon, uh, you know, why we like Cadillacs, why we like cognac, why we like Hennessy. It's gonna be awesome. Oh, those are some, gonna be some interesting episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really cool way to look at it. Do it. I think I like that you're expanding your podcast that way. Yeah, yeah. I well, it started out me asking questions, but nobody wanted to answer questions. So I was like, I'm going to answer questions that I have, <laughs> <laughs> and see and see what it's and see what it takes me and see what it takes me. It, I think that's dope. It gets it. Hopefully, you know. People like it. I think they do. So like I got, it. yeah, I got, I got some grenades. <laughs> I like it. That's dope. All right, one more topic before we go. I want to ask you about this because this is a heavy topic mm-hmm. in my neck of the woods. This whole Ron DeSantis critical race theory thing, erasing essentially erasing history, black history from schools and stuff like that. The don't say gay bill, the stay woke bill, anti woke bill, all this stuff is going on right now. What are your thoughts? Oh man, um, it's really a scapegoat for the racist ideas of of people. Like when you say don't say woke, it's really just like dog whistle politics for black people or critical race theory is like, and and what you see a lot, cause I kind of talk about this a little bit too. I, I I delved into like the history of woke and where and where that comes from. And what you see is this, this idea of making words so toxic that they're impossible to use. And now you see that with woke and critical race theory also, you can't even say those words because they elicit a negative reaction from a percentage of the population. So they've taken this word and turned it into such a negative connotation that it t- you can't even you can't even say it. It's basically like a soft n-word. You know what I'm saying? And then because of critical race theory, because don't say well, you've kind of incented that to the point where anything black adjacent is related to that. So if you would ask someone what in the world is critical race theory? I would I would guarantee you that that vast majority of people have no, who clue. Are, have no clue what exactly this is. You know what I'm saying? And what they will sell you on is the fact that you're creating division 
between the races. You're making them you're making them feel bad. That you telling the stories of of negativity about white people makes you know young white people who didn't have anything to do with anything feel bad. And I'm like, but there, we live in a world where African Americans feel bad every single day. Like I'm a I'm a constantly aware of my history. And like James Baldwin said, I'm in a constant state of rage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so when you say that that's a one-sided theory that's only that only applies to that small subset or large subset of people that you're talking about about your kids it doesn't no one gives a fuck about little black kids you don't care how that makes how that makes them feel you want to talk about billy you know like this these ideas only only benefit them and then it's so pervasive that we even have a subset of african-americans who don't want to read or like uh, passing off black history as you know stealing somebody else's heritage and now all of a sudden you're a native american and you might and you might be you might you, you might be but i'm gonna tell you what you're not <laughs> we we were not here there was that there, there might have been some black people here and they might have come here but they were not in large enough numbers for you to have a whole population of people native americans are completely different subset of people and they will show you some picture of some dark skinned person with a feather in their hat you know what i'm saying dressed in indian garb and that's like oh look nigga that was from 1850 you know 1880 yep. <laughs> that's a recent picture like that doesn't that, that doesn't tell the whole story so it's so important more important than ever these days for not only for you to push black history, but for you to tell the truth in these stories, for you to be telling the things the way, exactly the way they happened. You know what I'm saying? And I don't try, I'm not, I'm not going to get into mythology and, and, and story and, you know, and tell stories and convince people that they're wrong. But what I will do is tell the stories exactly the way they happened. You know? So there was no, if you, if you lit if you hear a story from me, you can know that this is a hundred and this is exactly where it happened. And there's no, they're going to be, there's no fudging or, or, or BSing around. And I think that's the thing that we can learn from this is that when you see this, Hey, we don't want a black, black history AP to be taught in colleges in, in Florida. Well, I want to know, you need to go learn and find out why that is. You need to be listening and looking and reading books to figure out what they don't want you to know. Because if it's so important to them that they're willing to ban it, then it needs to be even more important to you because you need to be figuring out what the, what the hell is going on. I think that's the perfect way to end this episode, bro. That's the, can't have said it better myself. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, brother. Let me know where to find you in the podcast at. Oh, wow, man. You can catch me at onemichistory.com. I am also on Twitter at, at onemike underscore um, onemikehistory. I'm also on Instagram at onemike underscore history. I'm on TikTok at onemikehistory. Hit me, DM me. I love to talk to people. You know what I'm saying? Come find me, listen to the podcast. I'm on YouTube. I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> there you go. As always, brother, thank you for coming on, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. This is dope. Like. Like always, man. My pleasure. As always, Devil Cox Prince, we are out. Peace. Peace.